Welcome back to Killer Fun. I'm Christy. I'm Jackie. And we're so glad you're back here with us today. We explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week, and we are super glad that you are back with us. We had a contest. Yay! Yay! We are about to give away a CSI board game. We're going to mail that to one of you, and we're ready to announce that winner. Oh, should I do a drum roll? Yeah! Let's do it. Okay. All right, we would like to announce that Michelle of Unsub Central has won our drawing. Congratulations, Congratulations, thank you. You have done an awesome job of retweeting us on Twitter, and we thank you so, so much for that. It really, really helps. Michelle has a really cool blog that she does that is serial killer in theme, and then she does reviews of books and films. Oh, how fun. Yes, the all on that topic, and it's so interesting and really cool. Awesome. So go check her out, too. So we're super happy to, you know, announce that our winner is one of us. Yeah, that's somebody who likes the true crime. That is kind of cool. Yeah, But thank you for everyone who retreated and and shared. Yes, yes. So we did have uh, a review, so thank you very much for that. You know... You can continue to do all of that stuff. We still want your friends to know about us. So we thank you. And we appreciate your spirit. Yes. Thank you. support. It's a lot of fun to go out there and see the... See how yeah. it shares yeah. and gets to other people. You yeah, know? it's really because that's word of mouth today. Yeah, exactly. That's the social media. That's, that's it. Word of mouth. If you need to find us on the social media, if this is the first time you're joining us and you're like, "Hey, man, I missed the contest," you can totally find us on Facebook. It's at Killer Fun Podcast is the shortcut, or you can search for Killer Fun: The Intersection of Crime and Entertainment. On Twitter, it's at KillerFunPod. And if you need to email us, I'm not sure why you would need to do that, but we love to hear from you, so please feel free to email us. It's KillerFunPodcast at gmail.com. So those are our social media. And today we are going to talk about a documentary. A documentary. It's sort of a documentary-ish. It's, it's a documentary that has a lot of reenactments because they, nobody filmed this, but we know what happened because there were a lot of accounts. It's called Belief, the Possession of Janet Moses. Right. And yeah. it's a little bit in the style of like Unsolved Mysteries. In yeah, that way. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. And it's, uh, it's rated TVMA uh, because it's a little disturbing. Heavy, heavy subject. Heavy, Very heavy subject. Heavy. The language is kind of minimal. I mean, if you had like a 14-year-old, 13-year-old who was like pretty advanced or interested in this kind of stuff, I would say probably fine for them. Uh, I wouldn't show it to like a little kid. Definitely no, not. No, because I probably wouldn't even have this conversation much with a little kid. Uh, no, no. Well, I, mean, I take that back. I, I might because it's important to talk about these things. Okay. It's important to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying now will probably make more sense after we talk about these things. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's talk about some of these things. <laughs> so the basic overall, what you need to know about Janet Moses is that she became ill in some 
probably mental way. And her family didn't have a good framework in which to understand that. So instead of recognizing it as a potential mental illness, they thought she was possessed by a demon. Right. And that's not a uncommon mistake in history. It's really not. In fact, the diagnosis of mental illness really still, even with all that we know, is kind of in its infancy. Yes. Or maybe toddler C. Is that a word? That's not a word. (laughs) It is now toddler C. Toddler C. Yes. It's not really an infant, but it's kind of a... Toddlerhood. Yeah. Yeah, That might be the technical term. Toddlerhood. Uh, But toddler C. I like like toddler C. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? Coin it, put it in the dictionary. It's a word now. We'll submit it to Webster. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, Janet was 23 and lived in New Zealand. We believe, in hindsight, looking back on it, that she was either depressed or psychotic or both. She could have had some form of bipolar. Right. Um, but the the episodes that looked like possession apparently were a pretty classic psychotic case. Yes, Um, And psychosis can come with a lot of different disorders. And since nobody really uh, assessed her from that perspective while she was living, we might not ever know. All we know is these few symptoms that we can say, okay, well, these are the symptoms that cause them to look out for a possession. Right. Um, uh, But those symptoms might fit these differentials. Right. She was in her early 20s, which we have talked about on podcasts before, Mm -hmm. that it's pretty common as that in your mid-20s somewhere, which she falls into into that category at being 23, that that's a common time for some people to develop these kinds of disorders. For them to show schizophrenia. Yes. Yes. Which, which is, would have psychosis which, yes. and delusions, which were part of her case. Yes. This is our Harvard graduate student, <laughs> by the way. So yeah, I, I nerd yeah, out on she, this one. Yeah. <laughs> so there's hormone fluctuations that take place. You know, people used to think that really, like, as soon as you were like through puberty, you you were pretty much grown. That you might like get taller. And now we understand that brain chemistry continues to change into your mid twenties. And so there's a lot of hormone fluctuations and stuff like that. And there are genetic predispositions. There are. So there's genetic predispositions, and then there's predispositions that occur to you in your infancy or toddler <laughs> or your childhood in general that then predispose you for. So there's a model called the diathesis stress model. Okay. The idea is you have a vulnerability of some sort, and then you have a stressor. Uh-huh. So when criminal Yes. Man talks about the stressor. Yes, they're on point. Okay, <laughs> good job, researchers and writers. Yes, they do a good job on that show. I think, um, but I'm also completely biased yeah. um, because I love that show. Um, but you know, so with this with this vulnerability, you might have a genetic predisposition, um, which is just risk factors. Risk right. factors. Yes. So, and one thing that this particular article that I'm reading from, why mental health disorders emerge in your early 20s, uh, touches on that, that you might have a genetic predisposition, but very not everybody who has a genetic predisposition 
exhibits these or succumbs to this kind of stuff that you need a stressor, a trigger of some kind that will bring it off. And as we'll see in a little bit, Janet had some of those. Yes. Yeah. Her life, she had definitely dealt with some adversity. Right. That, that would have been hard for her. Yes, definitely. And she had some stuff going on, but just life in general can be, if you have a disposition to this, can be a factor. Just moving away from home and the stress of getting a job and, you know, normal sorts of things. And not everybody is able to cope with them effectively. Right. So, and another thing is that these are typically young people. They can't always afford health care. Which is why it's so important that, you know, young people are allowed to stay on their parents' health insurance until they're 26 so that if they, if they need to, so that these kinds of things can continue to be diagnosed that because their brains are still developing, it's really important. And a lot of people, they'll, they'll choose negative coping mechanisms. They'll could turn to drugs or alcohol or partying or whatever it is that when they could be better served with a medical or psychiatric intervention. Right. Well, stigma plays a role in that too. Yes, so, for so sure. not only is it super expensive, right. um, but it's hard to put such a giant price tag on something and then say it's the right choice, but it's also going to incur judgment from the world. Yeah, exactly. You're well, like, I'm going to pay a lot of money to then be judged by the world. And then maybe not be able to get a job because... I have a diagnosis. It's just like people who don't want to have their kids diagnosed as like ADHD. They, you know, they don't want to have them diagnosed because they don't want them diagnosed. They don't want the stigma that goes along with that. Whereas they could be very well served by a small amount of medication and occupational therapy to help them learn how to deal with it and have it have, like have it and be functional right and we've come a long way with physical right. disability so right. um you know we have laws in place we have certain policies and procedures and you know all of these things are in place to help to say hey just because you have a disability or some kind of challenge physically um that doesn't mean you're not capable you just need a reasonable amount of support in your workplace but for mental illness um there's still a lot of question because mental illnesses just aren't as predictable right. they don't actually present even as I, well, some people might disagree with me. They don't present uh, as consistent. Right. You know, a well, broken I'm leg alive. is a broken leg. It's pretty like acts like a duck, walks like a duck. Let's call it a duck. That's fair. I don't think that mental illness actually presents that way. Now, some people would really disagree with me mm. and say, oh, no, no, there's definitely boxes it checks, but I can fight with you all day long. So, you know what? Email that one because that one's going to be long. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I would say that mental illness is an art. It yes. is. I mean, it's a science, and I love the science of right. it. But there's an art to mental illness because you're dealing with the heart and mind and soul of a person. Right. And with that, so I like to call it, it's like the seven up of science. Okay. Remember seven up? Yeah. Well, it was the like, uncola. Yeah, the uncola. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was the uncola. really like hit me okay <laughs> yeah like it's the unscience it's the unscience and oh. so there is a major scientific backing but there's a bit of art to the whole thing yeah uh, and so that's just my kind of philosophy on it and I'm a bit humanistic well, in that regard well and I would agree with that but I would say that a broken leg 
doesn't necessarily always behave like a broken leg, like a broken leg. So like, I have a, well, I have a family member who had a stress fracture and she didn't realize that she had a stress fracture in her leg. And so she had a broken leg, but she could still like walk around and she had a lot of pain. Yeah, but okay. It was a it was technically a broken leg. That's fair. So I think, but like, that's not on the diagnostic side. That would be on the person. If she had gone in and said, "Hey, well, this is really did. painful," well, and she did. And did they do the X ray? They they did eventually, but they tried to treat it differently initially. What did they think it was? They thought it was. Uh, she's elderly. And so they thought that it was just arthritis because okay. it was near her knee. Well, that's fair. I can I can take your point. So I can take your point. Actually, I would say, yeah, I have a broken finger because of the same problem. Right. So I I, I can understand that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it, you didn't get the treatment that you needed. No, she swore it was sprained. Yeah, and, and now it's crooked. And now it's crooked. <laughs> It's, Poor baby. I will take. Oh, you know what? You can post a picture of my crooked oh, pinky. Okay, we'll um, take a picture of your pretty, pretty. <laughs> you said pinky. pretty, and I said broken. I think it's. I think it. I. You don't find the beauty in brokenness. Well, not in this finger. <laughs> I, I. I mean, abstractly, yes. But to look at this finger, it's a little. I mean, you just you want to break it back. It's just so obnoxious. It's like. It's a little like Michael Strahan's fingers. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it's a little. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what but is see, that? I think it's kind of like it's your hand. It's like her. <laughs> sure. Okay. okay. Yeah. Let's go with that. All right. There's a man named Stephen Waterhouse who wrote a book called "Strength for His People: A Ministry for Families of the Mentally Ill." And this article is entitled, How to Differentiate Demonic Possession from Schizophrenia, which I thought was kind of interesting because a lot of the issues are having to do with religion and a misunderstanding of both religion and mental illness. So I think that's the operative word there. Yes. It's a misunderstanding of both. Right. To quote this article, demonic influence, quote unquote, is rare, but an integral belief of many. So it's a pretty widespread belief, not just in Christian theologies, but a lot of theologies across the world. Right. Yeah. The Bible itself makes a distinction between disease and possession. So Mark 6.13, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So the idea is that back then, even then, they could tell what was mental illness and what was demonic possession. Okay, so kind of interesting. I'm processing. Do you see my processing? Yeah, face? I do. I'm I listening. do. I do. You're, so my, you're our like, listeners can't see my processing face. Yeah, hey, I can tell you're like not quite on board with me yet. But I'm gonna like go through what Stephen Waterhouse put in this book as six ways to tell the difference between a demonic possession and mental illness. Okay. And I think it's an actually a really good list. You look very skeptical. I am a little because I... I You're going to like this. Okay. 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 So Jackie is like really, I have to say, she's very well versed in the Bible. She is one of my dear friends and a spiritual advisor to me, I would say. I think she would 
maybe be surprised to know that, but I really I, feel yeah. like now I have a whole nother face on. <laughs> yeah, you look like you're you're like gonna be a little like happy weepy yeah, touch. A bit. But so I and that's a part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this with you because I feel like you're really well versed mm-hmm. and really you and I have a lot of uh, shared opinions about about understanding scripture. We do. So and that we're both kind of a little out of the box and don't fit real well anywhere. So <laughs> that was a beautiful way of saying that we're misfits. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> I feel we're like I'm on the island of misfit Christians. I think we're we call ourselves misfits. Other people might call us heretics. I think I've definitely heard that whisper before. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, um, nevertheless, really. I'm still a worship leader and work in the church. Yeah. Because I love the church. Yeah. I do. I love the church. Yeah. And you know, and I don't mind being unique. I mean yeah. Well, if you take one look at me, you're going to be like, you don't mind being unique. So I don't mind being unique. In the most beautiful way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Okay. So attraction versus aversion to religion. So demons, when you confront them in a person, are going to reject Christ. And people who are mentally ill will very often seek out a religious understanding of what's happening to them. Well, now that is very insightful. Mm-hmm. It gets better from here. I got to stay with that one a second because I will say that I, working in the church, I've definitely had people walk in the door who are obviously, and I have ministered to people who walked in and you can tell they've been on medication for quite some time. They're not on it now. Mm-hmm. They're asking they're wondering why they haven't been healed, and they're but they don't want to go back on the medication. As they sit there and they tick and they wipe drool because of the medication for that long, and there's this process there. And they are they're very and and I mean my small microchasm of experience. I mean I have experienced that there is this draw towards. So that's very interesting. So people who are legitimately possessed wouldn't have a draw towards religion because a demon would be very antithetical to that. They would very much viscerally, yes, likely. I mean, in the in the biblical text, that's what you kind of hear, right? Yeah. So then there was irrational speech versus rational speech in the accounts of the in the new testament where they involved demons that the demons who were possessing a person spoke in a very rational manner and people who are mentally ill very often don't make a lot of sense like they're very upset about something which we saw in janet moses Mm -hmm. which we'll get to in a little bit that she's speaking in a way that they really thought she was possessed but it was not rational speech. It didn't make any sense. She was very emphatic and felt very strongly about it, but it didn't make any sense to anybody else. Right. It was delusion. Yes. It was a delusion. Right. So, <sighs> okay. So, uh, did you hear that? Yeah, I, I know. I, uh, well, well, I'm well, trying to put my face into some kind of waveform. Okay. So that people can know that my, uh-huh. I know you're not quite with me on this. We're that gonna, one, we're, that one I'm a little, I'm okay. interested to hear. It's, it's part of a whole. Okay. 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 Let's keep going. So the third one is ordinary learning versus supernatural, supernatural knowledge. So, okay. You laugh. <laughs> no, because. <laughs> Okay, keep talking. (laughs) Okay, because ordinary learning is something that you could expect that person to know. 
Okay. Okay. Like that in their life, in their experience with what you, what you would expect them to know, they know this. Mm-hmm. Supernatural knowledge is something they couldn't know. Family member, how they died, that somebody they never knew, never heard of, or languages that they would not otherwise know that they're suddenly speaking. So that's interesting okay. because okay. the language thing, uh, let me talk about that first because that is also, <laughs> according to many belief structures in right. Christianity particularly, speaking in tongues and doing such a thing would actually be a proof of salvation. Okay, and, right. Uh, and sal- salvation is a, in an identity that is incapable of possession. So if you are speaking in tongues, you are likely saved. And if you were saved, then you can't be possessed. Okay. That's how the logic works for some. Yes. So that's yeah. a very interesting thing because obviously there's people who believe parts of that. Right. Some people believe you can speak in tongues and be saved, but you can be possessed and saved. Others believe you're once you're saved, you, you can't, can't be, be possessed. possessed. Uh-huh. Um, and then those people may or may not believe you speak in tongues. But I right. have never heard somebody say speaking in tongues was actually part of it. Well, and they didn't say specifically tongues, that it was more of an idea of like somebody who has never studied Latin is suddenly speaking fluent Latin. So some people would say, though, that tongues is speaking different languages, not like gibberish not what sounds like gibberish to somebody else but rather a different language okay so for instance there are there are those who have a language that when they start speaking it you don't there's no right there's no basis for that language in right human society right right? like in man Hmm. but but that um, a person suddenly starts to be able to speak and either they are speaking in french and somebody's there to interpret or the person hearing it all of a sudden understands French, right? Because yeah, that's why yeah, I'm speaking English, but you're hearing it in French, right? So there is an idea that so I, I would okay. be interested. So to what know. about the supernatural learning okay, portion so, of it? Like so, things that they couldn't possibly know. <laughs> so when I started Binky Bear, okay. <laughs> If you don't, if you've not joined us before, if you don't know what Binky Bear is, Jackie invented. Uh, pacifiers attached to a soft toy teddy bears yeah they were teddy Mm -hmm. bears binky bears uh they she no longer owns the company right i sold it off and so um okay you still find them out there but yeah they're not me anymore but when i started binky bear um and i it became i was just selling to a few friends who wanted some because i was you know doing some good old Southern engineering on some existing bears to create these. And then I ended up taking it and then manufacturing these things. And all of a sudden I was in logistics and I was the CEO of this Uh company. Did you have some supernatural um, learning? I had some supernatural knowledge and I was stuff would come out of my mouth when I'm talking to China and everything. And I'd go, were you speaking in Chinese? I wasn't, but I was (laughs) speaking about things I shouldn't have no idea about. Okay. Case in point, I had like a business card that said president and I, I gave it to my Look, look, I'm, I have my own company. And they looked and was like, <laughs> really? Are you sure you're capable of that? Oh, what a mean and friend. Was, well, and they're not lying. It was a valid question. <laughs> I'm not a business person. Okay. I, at the time, I was not a business person. I should not know these things. This was not my forte. You're going to keep, like, financial records. <laughs> and I don't know. And so I would all, I would always use that term okay. and say, I have some supernatural learning. I have some learning. supernatural mm. learning, okay. some supernatural knowledge. And so that's kind of funny. I'm like, oh, so. Okay. 
I was possessed. I'm okay. Sure. <laughs> in the, by the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. <laughs> I was possessed in the Holy Spirit. It was all good. Hallelujah. So normal versus occultic phenomenon. So like normal might be like tremors or other stuff that could be explain, explained by brain disruption. Okay. Yeah. Occult might be like levitation or objects moving in a room for no reason. Those, those right. would be signs of demonic possession or your rather head than turning around like an owl. Yeah. I'm sorry, the movie yeah, just kind yeah. of popped in my head and all I could see was her walking upside yeah. down, her head spinning around and spitting a pea soup. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The exorcist. <laughs> yes. And I, I saw part of that movie once and it was a little intense for me because I think I was little and oh, scarred by that's it. That's not good. No. Oh, I was too little when I watched mm-hmm. like Poltergeist. Oh my gosh, I used to love that movie. <laughs> Well, a lot of people did, but I was little and a little like uh, susceptible. Did you? Could you watch Snow on a television and not freak out? Snow on a television didn't bother me so much, but I was terrified of my closet (laughs) for years because I was certain I was going to get sucked into my closet, and I had a like clown doll that I had to like. I've done that. Oh, scary! Yeah, that was the worst part. This is interesting. If they claim they are possessed, they're probably not possessed. (laughs) That if they have a mental disorder, they might be trying to explain it with a demonic possession in order to make it not their fault. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And an actual possession by a demon, they would want to keep it hidden. So that they could remain possessing that person for as long as possible. Right. And that makes destruction. sense. So, and then this was my favorite one. The effects of therapy. If prayer solves the problem, then it was probably not schizophrenia. If medicine helps alleviate the problem, it was not a demon possession. All very true. Yeah. So I thought that was fair. All my oversight with this. Uh-huh. Uh, that's not the right word. All my processing. Okay. Through all of this. Yeah. I have to say that it really does resonate. Yeah. As as really good insight. Yeah. Yeah. If you believe in demonic de- possession, possession, right? Today, um, I, I feel like that hits the nail on the head. Right. I that was great. Yeah. You, that was. You I thought that one was interesting. And then um, I found a. Um, Article from the Royal College of Psychiatrists, uh, Dr. Emad, who lives and works in Egypt. And he was talking about how a lot of, especially in Egypt, there's a lot of like that kind of religion where they would believe in that kind of stuff mm-hmm. in that area. It's, it's a very old. And so a lot of those traditions have been handed down, not for generations, but for millennia. And he said that very often various types of mental illness are attributed to magic or demons or something like that in Egypt. And what he's found is that patients will come in and they'll, they want to know if their family members, psychiatric illness can be attributed to jinn, which are uh, supernatural agents or demons. Okay. That's a common, jinn, J-I-N-N, is a common term for Right, that, that is a common the, term. Yeah, especially in the Middle East right. type area. And he had some recommendations for physicians 
treating in that area as when they ask that, not say, no, it can't be attributed to that. You can say, well, all of their symptoms can be attributed to mental illness. They're all things that we've observed in mental illness before. If you just tell them no, then they think you're just the doctor who can't, who doesn't believe. You're just the skeptic. Yeah, you're just a skeptic. You just, all you know is your book learning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, we we need we have some spiritual learning that we feel like we need to do. And so he his stuff was like if and especially if you have. People who are religious, if you give them the freedom to still believe, they're more likely to accept treatment. That's interesting. Yes. Yes. Because that's not our instinct. Right. And if somebody is religious, the patient themselves is a religious person, they might respond better to therapy that incorporates that religion into their treatment plan. Right. So one thing I did kind of think about when you were reading the list of six, Mm -hmm. and, and as I listened, I did notice that there is a big separation, like a this or that in his list. Whereas, and I realized why he did that because you're trying to differentiate, but I think that for most people, even if they are afflicted in some way, that is a part of their spiritual perspective. So you might have schizophrenia, but as a Christian, you might also see that as kind of a, well, a nail in the side, a thorn in the side situation, right? Um, where you have a spiritual aspect, and indeed, even in mental illness, we we suggest meditation, we suggest oh, seeking out religious support mm-hmm. and from your network. So um, I, I can see, yeah, yeah. I thought that was really, That's a really like, good idea. I thought that was really fair. And he even, being that he lives and works in Egypt, even said that if they would like to try to incorporate a um, like a faith healer that that should be perhaps supported within boundaries right yeah so which I would think you know most doctors especially here in the west would be like no no faith healers no no faith healers but his suggestions were that they're if they were seeking traditional healing that they would do so at their agreement, mm-hmm. which we did see in Janet Moses, she agreed to all of the treatments for the most part that were happening to her. She had an opportunity to leave. She did not take it. You know, that not to say that she was in a position to really make that decision for herself, but if a person is being told they should go to traditional healing, it should be, they should agree to it. Right. They shouldn't be forced into it. And that the patient should not discontinue any biopsychological treatment given by the doctor uh, for any reason. Even if the faith healer, traditional healer, whatever you want to call them, tells them to stop, they should not stop that medication. And that they shouldn't agree to any kind of physical harm or treatment with herbs because they can interact with the drugs. So I thought that was really like fair. That's fair. And it's totally relevant here today in the United States, because um, I would say this is actually a hot button issue. Oh, the, all the essential oils. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. I wasn't going to say it, but you said it. I Well, and I, you know, I, th- I think there's a place for them. I do. I really, I know a lot of people who are really helped by it, but I, I mean, think I when you're peppermint regularly. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. 
See, and it's got a place. But I think when you're dealing with like a major mental and emotional illness, I don't think you can say we're going to fix it with the essential oils. I think, you know, it needs to be in concert with Western medicine and not as a substitution. Absolutely. I agree with that. Because... Okay, so when my husband was ill, he uh-huh. was pretty ill. We'll go into that story, but yeah. we got offered all kinds of solutions and and solutions. Yeah, you're gonna pray away the disease, or no. you're gonna juice it away. Oh, jeez. Um, uh-huh. Or you're going to herb it away with this special tea and this this curative thing that nobody else knows about. And you know, and I can't see me rolling my eyes, but I'm rolling my eyes so hard right now. <laughs> well, and you know, I'm gonna. I'm going to be bold here. Okay. And I'm going to say my biggest beef with it is the logic behind this idea. Okay. Because the idea is pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know that there's this cure because it would it would hurt their bottom line and I'm thinking I'm thinking if there's a cure out here it would be mass produced and on the shelf for their bottom oh, line I, oh, no. immediately. Oh, I don't agree. No? No. You don't agree with that? No. Chemotherapy, Why not? Chemotherapy is extremely lucrative. But so would a cure. So would a cure. But if you cure them, you can't charge them 10, 15, 20 times for the same thing. Well, that's fair, but I think that they could charge them a lot. And you know what? 8 billion people on the planet, yeah. there is no shortage of cancer. Well, <laughs> fair. Fair. So, and there, but I and there's new pathological humans being born every second. Yeah. So, I mean, it's yes. not like a thing that runs out. I, I don't know. I think, I think there's a... I don't want to be conspiracy theorist about it. But I do think that there is a certain there are treatments that could be better for people that are less costly, and they're we're not being told them they're not being honest with us as patients or even maybe as doctors. That I don't I, know that I'm there. You're I, not there. No, because I feel no, like the science no. out there is pretty solid. There's so much research going on every. Every year, there is just billions of dollars being funded in research and research trials. Well, and see, and I wonder so, if not some of that, too, is being manipulated by a few, you know. I don't know. You think there's, they're manipulating data sets? I don't know if they're manipulating data sets, but I think they're, um, well, maybe. I mean, because that's a little conspiracy. Is it? That's a little. Maybe I found the place where I have a conspiracy theory. (laughs) Because I'm not really, like, usually, like, into the conspiracy theory thing. I'm, like, generally, like, a rational level human being. Well, I understand why people hate pharmaceutical companies because they're wrapped up with insurance companies, and they're the ones I hate. Um, Oh, I just kind of have a general distaste for all of them, But I do believe the pharmaceutical companies, they they push their wares. I, I don't doubt it. And it is a business, but... I don't think for a second that they're not actually trying to find the good things. And um, I I do because (laughs) otherwise... I'm glad you're so optimistic about it because I'm generally an optimistic person and I'm extremely pessimistic when it comes to this. That's interesting. I really like... If I were to pinpoint one problem the pharmaceutical company has, well, companies, I should say, I think it's a similar problem as energy companies today. Mm, They understand where the future is, but trying to make that transition and not fail as a business and not fail all the people in the middle... Yeah. That, you know, if the pharmaceutical companies stop making chemo, there's nothing else right now. Right. Really nothing yeah. else. And and the stats show 
by and large, that even though chemotherapy sucks, yeah. it's working. Yeah. It's working. That's fair. People are surviving cancer like nobody's business. I mean, they are being survivors. And so it's working. So what do they do in the middle when they stop supporting? It's one thing when Apple stops supporting some app that we had and we're like, right. ah, first world problem. Yeah. But the pharmaceutical company's like, oh, I'm sorry. We're in the wave of the future. Um, in the meantime, oh, well. Mm. Die. See, and I feel like that's, I don't feel like it's that uh, mutually exclusive that they can continue to offer those products that are tried and true and no work while finding us something else. They don't have to stop providing it. They never, chemotherapy might always be the best choice for a particular type of cancer. So what do you feel about the research then that is going on? Because that's what I feel like. I feel like I kind of feel like it's stifled. Okay, so you do feel like it's stifled. I do. See, I feel like they're trying their best to transfer mm. over into mm. new... Because stem cell research has become right so huge as they've moved to that. But I think that... I really think that they've found that to be lucrative. And that it's going to be lucrative. They can see how they can make money at it. So they're allowing that to happen. Whereas other types of therapies that might have been as successful or more successful but are not lucrative have been underfunded or hidden or minimized in some way i i don't don't know that's just where i'm at i want to ask like what Uh, well and i don't know exactly i don't have i don't have like that it's not something that i've looked at particularly recently so i don't have a uh I don't have examples right. currently in my brain. Yeah. And, you know, I think now being an older person that my research, my research might be different now than even several years ago when I was looking at this stuff more heavily. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I might be a little more discerning in my sources. You know, understand. And maybe I would have a different opinion if I were doing more research now. Perhaps that's something I need to do more, more research well, and too, so that I cannot be conspiracy theorist. But but I'm just as biased because, well, medical community and pharmacology saved my husband. Right. Well, and you know, so and I, I t- have a bias for sure. Well, and I don't, and I'm so glad. Most <laughs> <laughs> well, days, me too. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I kid. I kid. I kid. <laughs> I kid, I love my husband. Very, very <laughs> blessed that he is with me today. Yes. But if there were an easier treatment that could have been faster and or cheaper, wouldn't you have liked that? I think definitely. Yeah. I guess my issue is I don't see I don't see anything out there that mm. would have been. Mm. I, I think they well, and they actually did. Now when he had his bone marrow transplant, he had to go through chemotherapy. Right. Um, to kill whatever was left. You're right. But he did not have to go through radiation, which right. used to be a protocol right. which they removed because they realized it was unnecessary and quite frankly that does take a paycheck off their desk. Yeah. So they are they are willing to remove things that they find later. But I to think be that's okay, see I think that's doctors. Doctors are willing to forego that paycheck for the interest of their patients. The pharmaceutical companies are less willing to forego profit in order to help the amorphous patient that they don't see. Yeah, okay. You know? Yeah. Your doctor's sitting there with you. It's right. a whole lot easier to say, you know, I looking at you, you've suffered already, and I don't really think the 
radiation helps that much. I don't want to do the radiation because I'm looking at you and here you are this human being. Whereas, you know, a suit in an office somewhere is like, no, keep doing it. I w- it we need our shareholders to make money. I can, I can understand that. It, it makes me wonder, you know, like, is there a better blend than thieves? I mean, are, are the, yeah. are the yeah. essential oil companies just not doing the research because thieves is so daggum lucrative? Maybe. Uh, you know? Maybe. Maybe it goes all the way to the top. All the way to the top, baby. I love thieves. I don't think it does anything. Oh, That's just but me. you like the way it, it smells so good. Yeah. I don't buy it. I, well, I think there's maybe a psychological of, I believe it works. Therefore, your body Pulse like... Pulse placebo. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. All right. So I have one more article before we dive into the movie. And I think this is the one I'm going to get the most pushback on. <laughs> Really? Because I've been a bear today. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I want you to push me a little bit. All right, I'll push it's you. good. Push All right. I'm ready. The title of it is uh, As a Psychiatrist, I Diagnose Mental Illness. Also, I Help Spot Demonic Possession. <laughs> nice. Uh huh. A gentleman by the name of Richard Gallagher. And he said, the subhead is, how has scientists learned to work with exorcists? So this man's uh, Catholic, he has a, but he has a very strong educational background. Uh, studied classics at Princeton, psychiatry at Yale, psychoanalysis at Columbia. Dang. Yeah, like not a dumb guy. I mean. And he's also a practicing Catholic. And because of all of these things, a priest asked him his professional opinion about whether or not this woman was suffering from a mental disorder. Okay. Like, I appreciate that. I mean, we, I hear, we, that we, hear, we hear a lot of bad stuff about the Catholic Church, especially recently. And there's been a lot of bad stuff. I'm, you know, I'm not going to minimize any of that. But there are a lot of really smart, really helpful engaging individuals who really do have people's best interests at heart. And much like the medical field or any kind of church, I feel like you hear about these bad people and it's legitimately bad and they've legitimately covered up bad things that have happened. But by and large, most people are good, which is what is how I feel about like people in general. By and large, people are good. I agree so, with that. Yeah. I think most people on the ground, right. front lines, right. they're really So fine. here's this Catholic priest who doesn't want to suggest an exorcism to a family when it's mental illness. I like that. Yeah, I, I do too. That. I like that a lot. So he's this doctor, Dr. Gallagher, said he was inclined to skepticism, which I appreciate because that's what his training taught him. And he went and talked to this woman, and she could tell people their secret weaknesses, like, you're prideful, and that's not something that they, she would have known about someone she just met, necessarily. Okay, so I see your skepticism on your face. She also (laughs) knew that his mother died of ovarian cancer. That is not something she didn't know she was going to meet this person. So this goes into that uh, supernatural knowledge. Supernatural knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that she spoke Latin, which was not something that 
was familiar to her at all. And he said after he'd looked at all of the stuff, he said he was he concluded she was possessed because he couldn't find a clinical diagnosis for her. Okay, question. Yeah. What were the negative symptoms that she had? What? Well, Why is she negatively possessed by a demon versus inspired and anointed to minister to people? Why is she not a prophet? Maybe she's harming people. I don't know. It doesn't say that. Well, that would be my big question. Okay. The, I, Fair. I, Fair. Yeah, the prideful thing. Um, well, it's like, I feel like that's kind of quick to, well, it's a pretty good guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, but, but the other one. Seems like supernatural knowledge with the whole, like, I know yeah. how your mama died. Yeah. But, you know, there is this idea. Okay, so did you ever watch the show Lie to Me? Oh, uh, maybe I did. He's, it sounds familiar. So Tell me about it. Micro-expressions. Using micro-expressions and uh-huh. being observant to be able to see things. So, like, for instance, the prideful thing. There are expressions that we, we make that are just innate. Okay. Right? Yeah, things we don't even realize we're doing. We don't even realize we're doing them. And they're kind of cross-cultural. Like, there's these certain emotions that just people all over the world make. A smile and happy, a frown and not happy, the confusion or the anger, the flared, you know, or the contempt, you know, or disgust. We wrinkle our nose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we're closing it up. Right? So these are things that are cross-cultural. Well, we make these kind of expressions. And if you study that enough... It doesn't take long before you can spot hmm. some things. So, you know, I'm thinking, well, the prideful thing, not only is it a pretty good guess, but, I mean, when you meet somebody, certain expressions yeah. can get This is Dr. Off. Gallagher. You can hear doctor and say, You're maybe, maybe this person's prideful. <laughs> you know, no shade to doctors, because right. we're not doctors. But, but the other one with the ovarian cancer, that that's kind of, you know, uh-huh. a little bit, a yeah. little bit different. Kind of like psych from... <laughs> yeah, from yeah. psych. He kind of knew stuff because he was like uber super observant, mm-hmm. you know. I don't yeah. know, but that's yeah. a little weird. There, yeah. After he did this with this particular priest, he was asked by other priests, and so for over twenty five years, he's done hundreds of consultations with people of faith, trying to differentiate mental illness, which is the vast majority of cases, almost all of them are mental illness of some kind, to what can literally be described as the devil's work. That's very interesting. Yeah. So, and I appreciate, that's why I was like, this is kind of really interesting. It's a fascinating read. And of course, I will post this. So he talks about like being respected by the clergy community. Okay. And how that can be helpful like that okay not to say that he's like finding cases of demonic possession where they do not exist because i don't believe that he believes that in any way Mm -hmm. okay but the fact that he has said i can't find a clinical diagnosis for this and the way they're behaving would indicate a demonic possession to me gives him the freedom to be believed by religious leaders who can then save people from dangerous treatments that people might receive because they're actually mentally ill rather than possessed by a demon. I like how you use the air quotes for treatment. Yeah. (laughs) Treatment. Yeah. (laughs) I forget. It's not a... This is an auditory medium. I need to, like, (laughs) mention quote-unquote treatments that, you know, they 
beat people, they hurt people, they try and force the demon out of them, which we saw in Janet Moses. Mm -hmm. You know, poor thing. She's, rather than treating her psychologically, they tried to beat out of her. And he said that being somebody who's respected by the clergy gives him the freedom to help these people. I am on board with that. Yeah. I really am. Because despite whatever I believe about demonic possession uh-huh. or how a possession might be treated, quote yeah. unquote, uh-huh. um, by an exorcism, this is love. Yeah. This is service out of a love that he's willing to find a place where he can be useful to people. Fair. And so I, I can appreciate that. I mean... Whether or not I agree with his assessments or not, um, at the end of the day, he's still protecting people, even if he even if he diagnoses somebody as a possessed individual. Right. Um, he is still protecting them. Yes. Agreed. You know, and if whether or not you agree, I'm 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 very much a. I seem like you were like, nope, doesn't happen. <laughs> and I'm I'm sitting over here like, there's a lot of strange stuff that happens in the world, and who knows. <laughs> Well, I, I, yes and no, because I will say, though, that my faith teaches me that uh, possession is a different entity um, than I think their, their structure of faith. Even though we're all Christians, Catholic uh-huh. or Protestant or right. whatever, um, I definitely don't read demonic de- a possession as something that occurs to those who have faith. Um, okay. That's so, what I feel like the Bible teaches. Okay. I feel like if you look at experience, if you okay. look at um, all of the different resources we have, I don't believe that okay. a Christian could be possessed. That's my faith Maybe stand. They're not Christian. And so that's the question. Their families are Christian, but they're not. Or they were raised in a Christian faith, but they're not. Which is why there's a lot of uh, discrepancy because a lot right. of people say, well, I don't think you're saved. I don't think you have faith. Therefore, when you ask me crazy, Twitch a little bit, yeah, do you see what I'm saying? Right. So I have, a, I would say I'm kind of really skeptic about that, hmm. um, but I'm not close-minded about it either okay. because I don't think I've ever experienced it. What would I do if I was in those shoes? Yeah, really experiencing it. You, you know, know, if somebody levitates, I'm probably going to be pretty convinced of demonic possession. Oh, right. Like, all of a sudden. But why not? Why not God? Like, I don't... That's my... That's why my big question. Mm-hmm. I reiterate. Was she a harmful person? I would think if anybody is thinking demonic possession, you would think so. I would hope so. I but would... you know what? Salem burned a lot of people who... And hung a lot of people True. who were just really insightful, and most of them were just women and understood what they were talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just were intelligent women. Yeah. And so I, that's why I'm a little skeptic of it because the, the history is a little. But you know, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I get it. Yeah, I just I don't. You just I can have not... a lot of armchair opinions over here, but I've never had to deal with that. And I still don't know whether, even if I believed in it fully, if I thought exorcism would be anything but... Abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Because that example does not exist. Right. Biblically. Fair. Uh, Anytime there was a demon called out. Right. It was called out by the name of Christ 
or right. by Jesus calling the demon by his name and saying, out. Out, yeah, out. It didn't take that Oh, much. yeah, no, I don't think that there's any so, reason to force feed anyone water. Thank you. Yeah. That's yeah. called waterboarding. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yes. It's actually a documented torture method. So, and his final point was that, <laughs> first of all, he used the word chicanery, which means deception by artful subterfuge. And I, it's one of my very favorite words. So I had to point out I love the word chicanery. It's a great word. It's a great word. I don't know like, if I can say it. Chicanery. Yeah. Good oh, job. I did it. You did it. Good okay. job. Yay. <laughs> we can say, we can't say other things, but we can say chicanery. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, and it's usually used in a political context. Well, I, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I can see but that. It's, it's a, one of those words that only like lawyers know, but I think <laughs> it's really fun. His final point was that anthropologists agree that almost all cultures have like spirit possession of some kind. He argues that, this is where I disagree with him, that... Because there, there's a lot of interpretations and depictions, but it's all kind of the same. Okay. So you can't really dismiss something when it crosses so many cultures. And my argument is, well, mental disorders present similarly all over the world. They do have cultural nuances, yes. dialects, yeah. you know, for yeah. lack of a better word. Oh, but that's a, a mental illness dialect. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Wow! Chicanery. Ooh, better, better. (laughs) That's really cool. Okay, but it's a fair point. I think though he does. I I kind of I kind (laughs) of lean towards him in that. See, really, see, and that's the part where I disagree with him. Is like you can't say that it's demonic possession just because the illnesses demonstrate made themselves. (laughs) You can't. (laughs) (laughs) You can't say that just because the illnesses are demonstrative in similar ways across cultures means that that's an argument for demonic possession. Well, it's but, an argument for the whole emotions on your face. Well, that's, And it's an argument okay. for certain forms of cancer or certain forms of... Because if we can okay. say across this culture, then we know it's not environmental. Okay, it's so like like the Jewish people who have to worry about the Tay-Sachs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like similarly... Right. You know, that's a... It does give us information biological about biological pathology. Is something is, okay. if something is cross cultural, okay. if it's not, and it doesn't. But I will say though, although it gives us a lot of information, and cross cultural can say that it's something that's innate in our biology as humans and our evolution as as humans. It does not. I don't think point to a solid whether it exists or not. Right. See. Okay. But what I think does say is that it is obviously spirituality and spirit and supernatural is a part of our evolution as okay. much as our biology. And so okay. me as a Christian, I don't think of jinn. Right. No, me either. But, but that is a place of common ground. And it is interesting to me to think, but I have this faith and so do they. And we both experience very similar things. And the Bible actually is a great record of this because you kind of see across cultures how they had similar stories. Right. And now going back, you see that every culture has a story of the flood. Yes, that was one of my favorite things that I studied in uh, like a world literature class that I took in college is we read a whole bunch of, they called them myths, accounts of a flood. 
how they understood it in each culture was different, but they all had one. They all had one. And so it's very interesting to see our faith be so cross-cultural. It's archetypal knowledge. Correct. Yeah, like the numbers three and seven. Right. Almost every human being has some understanding of the numbers three and seven innately. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand that. I don't know if that's like a God-given thing or you if that's like a... nerdy? Yes. Okay. Always? Well, because it's not... Okay. Well, let me rephrase that. It's dorky, not nerdy. Okay. I, there's a nuance, apparently. Uh, yeah, according to your my, son. Yes. yes. So um, this is dorky. Okay. So okay. three and seven are the spiritually complete numbers, right? right? And that's... They're uh, prime numbers. The, right. And yeah. they're prime numbers. And it's kind of a cross-cultural thing. Well... Humanly, evolutionarily, is that wow? Yeah. Humanly, we can say four: north, south, east, west. Okay. Right. Four is a very common number in nature Mm. and in humans. Well, three plus four equals seven. Ooh, that's some numerology business right there. Heretic. somewhere and somebody was talking oh I was at a wedding and you know like a sort of religious it was sort of a religious event it wasn't like a super religious event it wasn't held in a church but the lady that was doing the bride's makeup was like doing her numerology while she was talking to her and I'm like oh you need to stop that right now yeah no, no we're not it was a little like oh and it didn't yeah. make a lot of sense and she was like oh okay well what's his name and what's your name and that's a number and oh when was you when were you born and what time were you born and I'm like oh you see I don't stop go there, right there I now. just think ha 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 three plus four equals seven, seven. And that's uh-huh. not where I stop okay although there is a great Facebook viral meme that's a picture and it has you know the alphabet and it has the numbers oh. one through twenty six uh-huh. and it says success equals and so it's uh-huh. like um, knowledge hard work and they equal ninety six and ninety seven but uh-huh. attitude equals one hundred yeah I thought that was really I cool. was like nailed it <laughs> so I showed that to my son the other day mm-hmm. and yeah. I said if you're you like don't shape up your attitude with this homework I'm printing this out <laughs> and this poster is going in your room <laughs> and he knew I meant it because see my southern accent came out uh-huh yeah <laughs> good deal all right briefly let's uh chat about the movie I thought it was really beautifully shot beautifully scored the acting was Fantastic. Little note on the actor. The lady who played Janet Moses uh, was Kura Forrester. And she's a comedic actress. No. Yes, in New Zealand, she's a comedic actress. Well, that's And I'm like, how, who, like the producers of Belief, The Possession of Janet Moses, just to say it again in case you're wanting to go look for this, it is on Netflix. How did they make the choice to like pick her for this when she's normally a comedic actress. I think it's a risk and it really paid off because it was really excellent. And then as far as like the filmography of it, there was a scene where Janet is sitting like she looks like she's sitting in her jacket and she's looking so forlorn and she's in front of a wall with wallpaper on it. And all of a sudden behind her, it all fills up with water and it was it was haunting and so beautiful that's an interesting word in like but it was it was beautiful it really like was a 
calm. It seemed like it should have been calm because it was just like flowing behind her, but then it kind of fills up and starts to engulf her. It really was like, oh, wow, that's like so a very... What did you take away you, from that scene? Well, just that something that seems like it could be beautiful and comforting can also be deadly, which I think is maybe like the overall theme in this is these people, man, they loved her so much. And that's hard. And that's that's so hard because they, the family was really, really close. They were really close all the time. Big family. Big family. They did all kinds of stuff together. The cousins are all, you know, who's your best friend? My cousin's my best friend. Because the family was super, super close, which is, of course, how this happened. That they were very insular That they came to this place because they didn't have a lot of outside intervention. But they were so kind. They all, she started to look ill unexpectedly the grandmother had just died i was about to mention the grief the grief it it seems like it started with grief yes the grandmother died and the her boyfriend was cheating on her which is also grief yes the bereavement yeah it's not the only type of loss that people grieve and so there's two forms of grief there and they're all together and then there's this idea that some people end up in a complicated kind of grief that ends up in depression and other things. And that really seems like her behavior. It started out when they first, the family first started noticing it. I really think it was like a depressive sort of thing that she was, you know, going through depression and because they didn't recognize it for what it was, they really had a hard time. And then the spiritual guidance that they did get was poor yeah, <laughs> to, uh, that's to say to the s- least. To say the least. But also culturally common. Uh-huh, yeah. And it was in a town, Wayunomata, in New Zealand, which is just fun to say. You Wayun- said that so well. Wayunomata. I wrote it down phonetically for myself. <laughs> 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 because I really... I really wanted to remember that. So they had a, a spiritual guide. He said that he had a vision, which... Big red flag to me. <laughs> Says the person who actually thinks yeah. about all the supernatural who, things. Who actually thinks that, you know, I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say I'm totally here for it. But there's a lot of stuff that I don't know how to explain. Right. It, you know, in my life or other people's lives or other accounts. And, you know, but maybe. Still, maybe, you, yes. You, you still wave but your on this, flag? Like no, a yellow flag or like a red yeah. flag? Yeah, oh, probably big red flag. Okay, big red yeah, flag. Yeah, big right. red flag because he said that there was a statue of a lion, fairly small, like three feet tall, that they stole from like a pub. And there were two of them. The lion was like their family mascot. Like some people had tattoos of lions and they felt very connected with lions. And they decided to go take this lion statue from in front of this pub and... Jimmy, the spiritual advisor, said he had a vision that the lion was mad because it was part of a pair that had been together for a hundred years, and that brought the bad juju into the house, and it attacked Janet because she had been sickly as a child, and she was the weakest, and that's why 
she was the one affected by this. I know. I know. I, do you, my it's, red flag face is on. Your red um, flag face is on yeah. big time because you find out later that they were purchased new by the pub owner. They had not been together for 100 years. In fact, the pub owner had done things to weather them to make them look older. <laughs> Isn't that just... Um, well, it's so heartbreaking because poor Janet Moses... It is. It's heartbreaking because, like you said, red flag, right? But they didn't raise their red flag. They felt like, oh, this curse is it exists, right? We are cursed yeah. because of this the, thing that happened with right. this. They called it a. It's a, called a makatu. They have a blend of two different religions. So they're like Maori is like the traditional religion for the indigenous peoples of New Zealand. And in the early 1800s, they were exposed to Christianity. And this particular family had kind of a blending of those two religions. They believed in baptism and prayer and Jesus, but they also believed in the Makatu, which is the curse. Curse. Generational curses and those kinds of things. Um, And then so they went to, to do a cultural ceremony. Right. Yeah, they return. They returned it. They prayed over it. They read from the Makatu scripture, and then Janet seemed to get better. She seemed better for a little bit, and they were like, "Oh, good." Then she starts screaming at her somebody in her family, an aunt or somebody. She starts screaming at them that she's going to kill them. When no, we get out of this car, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, which is the delusion. That's that's, that's where the, psychotic yes. delusions, right. Right. you know. And 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 then later she's, you know, after she's gone through some of their quote-unquote treatment, <laughs> you know, which is involves water to try it because she wanted a shower. So they put her in the shower. She got in the shower, seemed fine, and then they decided demons like hot water because she was taking a warm shower and cold water would do better to get the demon out of her because he doesn't like cold water and then they forced her to drink a bunch of water and she vomited and but they didn't just force her to drink water no that's how it start that's how it started right was when when they forced her to drink water in the shower she vomited right and you know something came up so even though she hadn't eaten very much and so they thought that was the makatu coming out of her and that's Which, where... you know, seems ridiculous to us, but I can understand that they have this culture and this religion that informs them this way. They, It's so hard because what they did to her was awful, and they did it to a teenager as well in the house whom they thought had become possessed by the same demon because she fainted because it was hot in the house and full of feces because nobody was allowed to use the bathroom in the house because they thought the bad juju was in the bathroom after she vomited (laughs) you know i mean because now possession is a contagion yeah you ever seen the movie fallen no oh denzel washington Fallen. It's about demon possession. <gasps> what? And it's one of my favorite movies. And it's about this particular demon and his interacting with and you know, and you'll never you'll never think of things the same way. Hmm. You you gotta go watch it. Okay. It's just a time is on a sad. Right? Like it's just Okay. And they sing that song and you're like 
Ooh, that's creepy. <laughs> you know, like Ooh. you never hear the song the same way again. Oh, okay. All right. But when you talk about the contagious nature of it, yeah. Well, and they have, you know, they're they keep chanting at her, "Go in peace and love." And of course, you know, it's only afterwards people look at the case. The family was super cooperative with the police. Went after poor Janet finally died. They had they got her out of the shower, and then they just kept pouring cup after cup after cup after cup of water in her face and down her throat, and she drowned on dry land. How right. awful! How awful! This is torture. Yeah, it really is torture, and no wonder she was screaming obscenities at them. But they took that as. The demon is doing that because that was out of character for her because she's probably mentally ill from the grief. And And we'll never really know. And we'll never really know because she wasn't able to be examined because people that they called in to help them weren't really very helpful. And then the neighbors didn't really do that much, even though it was noisy, because they'd always been good neighbors up to that point. Right. Which is also kind of scary and horrifying. Well, the scary thing also about this is that, for instance, the detectives now... um, continue to interview right right? yeah and so they are saying well we've got to look at the family but the problem is that as you mentioned before they have this belief system that does inform them and so when you interview them they're giving their side and this is the problem with the self-report and there's just not enough hard evidence about what was what you know so you have to kind of hear what they say and put it through a translator and guess what it might actually be and that's just as right. problematic. Right. Um, you know, the question is criminally, was there an intent? Yeah, and I think no. I think no. But as one of the prosecutors said, you can't just act on bizarre beliefs and kill someone and nothing done about it. Well, because and there's I'm a like, conflict of fair. interest here for the family. Right. They believe that the spirit was going to new people. They believed that this demon was left bad juju in certain Uh areas of the home. There is an intent to stop that from happening and stop it from spreading. And you can't completely say that they didn't have an intent to stop this from continuing. Right. Their intent was to harm the demon not the person. And maybe. They, and, maybe. Know, I mean, I think about like, really Jonah. Think. Let's talk about Jonah on his boat to Nineveh. And like he's or, and not to Nineveh. He's actually avoiding Nineveh. He's going a different direction. He's on this boat. And it brings about this curse. And there's a storm. And they're like, who is it that's brought this? And Jonah says, it's me. It's me. And basically, you can't just kill a demon. You have to kill the person. They knew yeah. that. And they willingly allowed him to jump overboard and die. He didn't. Right. According to the story. But I wonder, like, do they think... We've got to kill this demon. I don't want to kill the person, but I'll kill the person to kill the demon. Mm, I don't maybe. know. They Well, they didn't realize they'd killed her for quite some time. Yeah, how long was that? Uh, they weren't specific Cause, uh, that I recall. There wasn't it, but that like she died and they didn't realize that for a while. For a long while? Because I felt like no, it was a like short like a while. few, few hours. Not like days. Not days. But longer than but they maybe, should have realized. Who knows what they were thinking? Well, and they hadn't slept. They hadn't ate. The house was hot. The house was dirty. You know, nobody's thinking clearly. Nobody. And that's really part of it, too, is that nobody took a break. And her dad did 
come. Her dad, I guess, wasn't as close with the rest of the family, and he did come and try and he offered to take her away, and she refused. No, I want to stay here. They're helping me. It's so sad. It is so sad. It's so sad. So at some point, a white after she has died, a white pastor who has heard something about this situation does go and. I think he's the one who ended up calling the police after she he went to the house and found her deceased. And he, understanding the family's religion, told them that the grandmother was sending a message that it's gone. And I think he was doing that to, like, protect the 14-year-old that was they were still trying to get the demon out of, quote-unquote. And... You know, so that he could call the police. Now, I thought it was really interesting that there were eight family members total tried in her death. And five of them were found guilty of manslaughter. But their legal system was is such that they didn't go to jail. Which seems like appalling to us. But we have a lot of jail time. Their idea was that... These people don't need to go to jail because they honestly didn't intend to hurt her. They were trying to help her. They're unlikely to do this to anyone else. See, that goes back to the intent. Right. So the court ruled that they were negligent. Right. But they that they're not a danger to other people. But they did. Some of them had to were confined to their homes and they're confined to their homes for a certain length of time and all of them had to undergo education. And see, and that I resonate well with that. I'm like, well, Um, it seems like maybe a better choice than putting them in jail where they become hard. No, I mean, what would that have done? I mean, nothing. I mean, and on none of these people would have felt like that was retribution. Like there wasn't an, they didn't take her off the street and there's another family who would feel vindicated and safer if these people were in jail. That wasn't and the I have situation to trust. here. I have to trust that the court made a good decision to say that, right. you know, that there think, wasn't intent. And right. I'm not sold. I'm just not sold. Oh, I, okay. feel like, I feel really? like the story, uh, yeah, I'm not sold. Huh. I'm not sold. You well, because, do you think they're not being honest? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, because, for instance, okay, so take the, the pastor who comes in and he says, he lies. Yeah, To basically. comfort them. And it comforts them that the demon's gone. Like, that was their intent, to get that demon gone. And Mm. I'm not sure that I believe that they wouldn't stop uh, killing her for the sake of that. I think they would be willing to let it go. Oh, I think that they were exhaustion. And that may be true as well. Well, people who are exhausted might make such a irrational decision. Right. And I think that's what it was. This is a series of irrational decisions, not an, they wanted to save her. Hmm. That's interesting that we have different, different viewpoints Mm -hmm. on this. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, it was heartbreaking, but it's, it's really, it's, it's hard to watch, but it was beautifully filmed really really interesting and janet moses we are sorry that you had to pass in such a really horrific and awful manner at the hands of your family we hope that you have peace 
now. Yes. So. And I hope their family can find peace going forward. I hope so too. I because it's not something that fractures this close knit family in, in an irreparable way. I hope it fractures them enough that they can make sure that in the future they would seek additional guidance. Right. Because the another thing that came out at the trial was that there was the Maori spiritual leaders said there was nothing in their tradition that said that this is how a demonic possession should be handled. No. That this was something that came from inside of them, that this was they, this was a f- insular family sort of thing. I think the grandmother had something to do with it. She kept telling them they had to do their water, and that was like they had to drink water and say prayers, and that was something that had been kind of, which, you know, normally, like, drink your water, stay hydrated, say your prayers. Those seem like perfectly fine things right so like there's an article here and it talks about um how the water was used to cleanse of the victim during a ceremony one of the cultural ceremonies but um this this dr ka said that he was surprised at the alleged amount of water right that was used and he had never heard of anyone being badly injured right even though you may have to hold the person down this is not a total quote it's a kind of a paraphrase but yeah he did say you may have to hold the person down because the spirit may fight within the person to stay so you need others around you to restrain them mm. so there is a bit of a there's other perspectives coming out that says mm. well there is a bit of a there's a little bit of a cultural thing but like the idea i think their idea was you know you hold them down and you sprinkle water on them which okay i if if it's a demonic possession sprinkling holy water on somebody really would probably upset the demon right you know right okay yeah fair force feeding somebody water is maybe the next step to that that somebody who's uninformed or uneducated well, or that's the perversion yes of, oh. of certain types of perversion of religion strikes its ugly head again <laughs> Dang, that turns up a lot in true crime. Ooh, yes it does. Yes, it does. Okay. And um, well, we we got more trails than rabbits right now. Oh, for sure. (laughs) All right. Well, Janet, rest in peace, darling. Amen. Amen. All right. So next time we're gonna play Forbidden Island, (laughs) a game by the same people. Who made Pandemic? I hope which we, we win. I hope so too. It's a really fun game, though, and I think it's a. I think it's maybe a little easier to win than I, Pandemic. I hope oh, cross so. our fingers because we haven't won anything in a while. I was going to say, who out there is keeping track of this? Because I think our record is pretty abysmal. Oh, uh, I um, think you're right. I think it's not so good. Uh, so you know, you this one. Michelle of Unsub Central is a winner, but we haven't been winners in a while. No. So, so we Michelle, can, we salute you. We, we Cheers. salute you. I will be in touch to get you your game shortly. Yes, congratulations so, for that. Yep, awesome. All right, so next time, there's nearly nothing you as an audience needs to prepare, but do tune in. And we're so glad you spent your time with us today, and we hope you do it again soon. We'll see you in a couple weeks. See you next time. Bum, 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 da, 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 da.